The world is in the middle of an unprecedented crisis. The COVID-19 pandemic has hit us all. And today I talked to former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry about the connection between COVID-19 and the climate issue. If you are engaged in denial and you won't listen to the experts and you don't take in the facts, you can have disaster. Welcome to Planet A, a podcast on climate change. My name is Dan Jonsson. I am Minister of Climate, Energy and Utilities in Denmark. In a series of conversations, I ask some of the world's leading experts, policymakers and activists how to stem climate change. We, the human species, are confronting a planetary emergency. For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. The reason I believe we need to act now is because the facts are staring us in the face. The time to answer humankind's greatest challenge is now. So this gives us the best possible shot to save the one planet we've got. There is no plan B because we do not have planet B. You're listening to Planet A, a podcast on climate change and what to do about it. In today's podcast, I talk to former U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry. John Kerry has had a distinguished career in American and international politics. He served as U.S. Senator for 28 years and was the chairman of the Committee on Foreign Relations. He also ran for president against George W. Bush in 2004 and, of course, served as Barack Obama's Secretary of State from 2013 to 2017. John Kerry played an important role in the creation of the Paris Agreement. Today I talked to him about how that agreement was made and how we will fulfill its criteria in the future. John, so good to have you with us. Glad to be with you, Dan. Thanks for inviting me. It's an absolute honor. I, I, I met you uh, first time in 2007 at the COP UN meeting in Bali and you gave a speech that really touched not, not only me but everybody in, in the room at a very difficult time and you've just shown outstanding leadership on the climate change issue for, for decades now. Also, even before it became the issue that it is now, what got you engaged in, in, in this issue? My mother. <laughs> really? I, well, she was a great environmentalist. She was uh, incredibly proactive long before her time. She was recycling. She was urging uh, people to be responsible, created a nature walk when I was a teenager at our school. And so, um, and I read Rachel Carson in 1962, and I was extremely uh, angered by what we were doing to ourselves and inspired by her and her efforts. So I became involved in the first Earth Day, 1970. So I've been at this, yeah, I've been at this for a long time. <laughs> well, I started uh, as a bird watcher myself when I was a kid, so I can relate to, I can relate to that. So tell me, how do you see this uh, agenda moving in, in the last decade? Because you've been fighting this even when it was a topic that would never be discussed in American politics, uh, for sure, but also uh, elsewhere. Well, in, uh, I mean, the past decade is, is a disappointment, even as there was one moment of great progress, and that was the Paris Agreement. Um, I, I, I went to China within six weeks of being named Secretary of State, and I had the privilege of negotiating with President Xi and his leadership. And they agreed to come on board for the first time to be part of a task force with the United States. So in one year, we broke the pattern of failure. We, we managed to have China and the United States both announce 
their intention to take Paris seriously, their intention to reduce emissions. And we uh, set our public figures for what we were going to reduce by. That encouraged many other countries to realize, whoa, people are serious. Paris is going to be a major event. We need to get ready. And then, of course, in Paris, we successfully brought 195, 196 countries together who all agreed simultaneously to move in the same direction. That was a, a, a great moment, and it should have created momentum, which it began to. For two years, we saw more money go to sustainable development than to fossil fuel. But along came Donald Trump, and he quashed the momentum and pulled the United States out of the agreement and has never encouraged any serious negotiations since. No, well, just to remind listeners that what was decided in, in Paris was that now the world was legally bound to find ways of keeping the temperature increase below 1.5 degrees. And obviously, as you said, for a couple of years, that momentum was actually there. But since it's really gone in the wrong direction, how do you see the COP process evolving uh, within the next couple of years? Well, the most critical COP we will have held, other than obviously in Paris, will be the Glasgow meeting next year. Uh, and that is when countries have to meet a standard of the metrics by which we are measuring what they've accomplished uh, and ambitions are supposed to be raised accordingly. Uh, it is going to be a real fight, but it's going to be absolutely critical. And I'll tell you why. Not one country in the world pre-COVID, before COVID hit, not one country in the world was meeting what we needed to do uh, to make sure we were going to meet the Paris standard and exceed it. In fact, most of the major developed countries in the world were raising their emissions. They were going up, the United States up, Europe as a whole up, not every country, but Europe as a whole, uh, China, India, Malaysia, Indonesia, major countries were using coal-fired power plants, dirty fuel, uh, and we were simply not going to meet uh, the decrease in emission standards that we needed to. So we have to get serious. Uh, scientists are warning us again and again and again that we are facing a, a speed up of the negative impacts. Mother Earth's feedback loops are coming back bigger and faster than we anticipated. So whether it's ice on Greenland, which is melting four times faster than it was 10 years ago, or the Antarctic ice, which is very unstable and now melting underneath because warmer water is going under the continental shelf and destabilizing the ice. Many things are happening. Methane is now uh, leaking in various places where the tundra and the, uh, the uh, permafrost has thawed. And that thawing is releasing methane, which is 20 times more damaging than CO2. So we've got to be Uh, unbelievably disciplined and unbelievably focused in order to achieve something serious in Glasgow. I really agree. Now, uh, some countries have argued that because of the COVID crisis, uh, they need more time. They cannot deliver the NDCs, that is the national targets for reduction that, that they should. My country has argued the complete opposite. We've just adopted a 70% reduction target in 2030 compared to 1990, actually calculated from what we would need to do to fulfill the Paris Agreement. Well, that's, that's the key. That's what you have to do. That's leadership. And we need leadership very, very much here because uh, we have capacity to do an enormous amount. Uh, 
energy efficiency is the fastest way to reduce. Yes. And there are countless things we can do. That's the low hanging fruit, if you will. And there are many, many things we could do to reduce uh, retrofitting buildings, changing the efficiency of certain kinds of equipment. Uh, we could move very rapidly uh, to uh, shift energy in certain sectors. Uh, transportation is a place we could make great gains. Every sector of our economy, we're going to have to break it down and, 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 and understand what can be gained at what pace. It has to be based on reality. But the truth is, saying that we can't do it because of COVID, uh, that's an excuse. I mean, if you're, if you're really reacting to COVID, most of your companies won't be working right now. So they're already reduced. Uh, the truth is that, that COVID is an opportunity in the money we spend for our economy to put people back to work. Let's make sure we're putting them back to work on the right things. Let's make sure we're not just going back to where we were. But John, to play the devil's advocate, because I totally agree with you, obviously, but to play the devil's advocate, this is what people said uh, after the financial crisis in 2008, and the opposite happened. All the investments to restart economies, they were, or most of them anyway, they went into to fossil uh, fuels and old fashions. And I think that, that, that will happen in the short term, Dan. I, I, let's be honest with each other. Yeah. Because the economies are so disrupted, uh, the imperative is going to be felt to get people back to work. And that means getting them back to work at what they were doing. Uh, because there isn't time to build a new plant or do the do. So what we're talking about is not, you know, we're going to have a period where we're going to go back to the normal in terms of emissions where we were before, even above it. The key is, Do we have a plan and are we implementing the transformational build-out necessary to make sure that we actually know where we're going to get to in two or three or four years? That's the key. And, and so, for instance, we will go back, I know, to uh, some of the natural gas uh, that's uh, stop-gapping the absence of, of certain renewable. You, you have a baseload challenge for your companies. They've got to be able to produce. They have to be able to do their business. You don't shut down in the middle of the night. That will happen, and that will raise emissions from where they are today, certainly, to pre-COVID sort of levels. But then, what's going to be the new infrastructure project that that nation is going to undertake? Is it going to be to build a smart grid? Is it going to be to improve your public transportation? Is it going to be to have new building codes for any new building that is built. Uh, you know, there are a whole lot of choices that mayors and, and legislatures, parliaments are all going to be grappling with. And the key is to make certain that the foremost question in their mind is, how do we do this differently? In America, for instance, we don't even have a grid. We don't have a national grid. We have a grid on the East Coast, a grid on the West Coast. Texas has its own grid. You have a little line that goes across the northern part of a country, but there's a great big hole in the middle of America. You can't send energy from one place to another. That's nutty. In an age of artificial intelligence, quantum computing, supercomputing, come on now. You know, the nation that went to the moon and the nation that invented the internet ought to be able to figure out how to send energy from one place to another. <laughs> That's the, Those are the kinds of things we just have to tackle. We just have to do it. Don't you also think that this might be the time that finally we can succeed presenting the argument that really a green transformation is not bad for business? It's the opposite. It's, it's what makes you competitive. Yes. And many businesses are, are now understanding that and they're 
implementing policy accordingly. Many businesses, Bank of America, for instance, which I've been doing a little bit of uh, work with, uh, the president of Bank of America uh, is at the forefront of efforts to help make sure the reset is putting money into these forward-looking projects. So if the big finance entities begin to make a tougher set of criteria for investment, uh, we can begin to change very dramatically uh, what is happening in our economy and globally. You have uh, compared, John, in, in one of your uh, one of your many articles that that you write. Fortunately, because we love to read them also uh, across the Atlantic, you've compared uh, the pandemic to the climate crisis. Can can you elaborate a little bit on on that comparison? Well, there there are several very real uh, connections. I mean, I'm, this is a real uh, picture that I'm drawing. COVID. What was the response, certainly, of the President of the United States? He called it a, a, a democratic hoax. And, and he said it's the Chinese you know, flu. And he called it the Wuhan and this and that. He was very racist about it, but he tried to blame. And then he praised Xi for being uh, very open and transparent, which we know China wasn't completely open and transparent. Uh, but they certainly did a good job and have worked extremely hard to contain the virus better than, than we have in the United States. And so the linkage is if you are engaged in denial and you won't listen to the experts and you don't take in the facts, you can have disaster. That's what we have right now in America because the leadership did exactly with COVID what it has done for 20 years with climate, which is not listen to the experts, deny the facts and and allow damages to begin to grow so that two years ago in america we spent 265 billion dollars just cleaning up cleaning up after three storms now that's insanity that is a definition of insanity when you're digging a hole you know first thing you got to do is stop digging if you keep digging you go it's 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 sort of so we've got to uh now that's one connection is the philosophy with which you approach it and the, the governmental response. Here's another connection. Pandemics thrive in the circumstances that climate change is creating. Water disappearing, no drink, no water for people, hard to wash your hands, can't clean up, uh, disease uh, lives, you know, thrives in that kind of place. The poverty, that will come with whole populations being dislocated and having to move uh, will also change food production. Animals and viruses that come with certain bacteria that come with certain animals that are moves. And it moves to new locations, different places, behaves differently. And that is a threat. So the reality is that uh, just as you have massive dislocation as a result of what's happening now in terms of our economy, you will have massive dislocation in our economy as a consequence of climate refugees, lack of water, intensity of storms, uninhabitable regions of earth. For instance, last summer in Pakistan, there was a village, I forget the name of it, where it was 125 degrees Fahrenheit. People were dying just of the heat. And there were there's another place in Africa, similarly. That's going to happen now more regularly. I mean, what do you have today in Europe? I think it's 33 degrees or something. I can't, I don't know. 
It's record high, record high levels in lots of places. Every year we're breaking records. So, you know, therefore you have to see both of these challenges, pandemic, climate change, crisis, require leadership to look over the horizon, see what's coming and get ahead of it. We didn't do it with COVID. We're not doing it with climate. Do you think, though, that there's a, a chance for some optimism in the sense that maybe the COVID has has learned us exactly that, that it's necessary to collaborate and that we are all interconnected? We live in a globalized world. Well, I hope so. And I hope four months from now in the United States, the American people will embrace that and ratify it and will change our presidents because that multilateralism will not happen with the current administration. They've proven themselves not only not willing to try to build multilateral institutions, they've been busy undoing them. And they've attacked uh, NATO, they've attacked the UN, they attack the World Health Organization, they attack leaders, Macron, Merkel. It's it's the opposite of what we need to be doing right now. Well, that's one thing that I've noticed that is that although the, the US is not active on the global stage right now in, in, in the climate change uh, climate change debate, a lot of good things are actually happening in many states and and cities. Do you agree with that? Totally. When Donald Trump announced that he was going to pull out of the Paris Agreement, a bunch of us governors and other officials, former and current, stood up and said, we're going to create something called We're Still In. And the day after Trump announced that, I, I remember I was in New York with uh, Governor Cuomo of New York and Governor Inslee of uh, Washington uh, and Governor Brown from California. And we announced, we're still in, we're going to stay in. So here's the thing, 38 states out of 50 in America have all adopted uh, renewable portfolio laws. So they're already implementing and working to meet Paris. And over 1,200 mayors have signed a compact to achieve the Paris uh, Agreement uh, targets. So that 32, those 38 states are the equivalent of 80% of the population of America. So when Donald Trump says, we're out, wrong, wrong, Mr. President, you're out maybe, but the American people are still in and they want to get there. Now it's been made a lot harder been made harder by the administration, which keeps backtracking from laws that help us to get there. And it's been made harder, obviously, by COVID. So, John, give us your view on the big actors globally now. You've talked about the US. There's also the EU, India, China. Well, China is the second biggest uh, actor. And EU, I think, uh, third. China is the world's largest emitter now. We're number two, actually. Look, 20 nations, basically the G20, are responsible for 85% of all global emissions. So 20 nations, frankly, really need to take the leadership role. And um, I'm sad to say that it appears as if, if you don't have the United States there fighting to move forward, uh, the other nations don't listen and, and, and don't get much done. So we've seen just backstepping all the way in the last uh, couple of years. Um, Australia has had a, a prime minister who doesn't believe in it, didn't want to do a lot. You saw the fires that Australia suffered last year. We've had uh, difficulties with some other countries, which we fought hard to get involved in Paris. My hope is those countries 
are ready to be involved and to be constructive. I think they are. And, and we have to approach it with, uh, uh, with thoughtful, strategic ways in which to help them solve some of their economic problems and some of their challenges. So what's your opinion on the developing world in, in this question? Because when I talk to leaders from developing countries, they tell me, listen, we want to be a part of the solution also, but uh, you guys, meaning the West, actually promised us a lot of funding many times, but you never pay up. It's true. They're absolutely correct. Unfortunately, yeah. Uh, it's very sad. I get very angry about this because... We put together in Paris the Green Climate Fund. It was supposed to have $100 billion dollars in it. The purpose of the Green Climate Fund is to help poor nations be able to build out their infrastructure, provide power, electricity to homes for the first time, but to do it without repeating the mistakes that we all made in the Industrial Revolution. We have learned over the last 150 years. We know what's going on. We know that coal-fired power plants aren't clean. It's the dirtiest fuel on the planet. And, and so this is not a time to be building new coal-fired power plants, but some nations are because they think it's all they can afford. And unless we fund that transition, uh, it's going to be our problem too. It's, it's not giveaway money. It's helping to solve something that if you don't solve it, you're going to spend that money in dozens of ways cleaning up after yourself. So countries are obviously actors, groups of countries are actors, but you could also argue, I guess, that in many cases, big international corporations are equally important because you mentioned a group of countries that combined are responsible for 85%. But if you look at a group of companies, the biggest companies on the planet, they are also responsible for most of the most of the emissions. This is true. There are a lot of big companies that are responsible and We need to uh, we need to work with private sector. Yeah. Private, we can't do this. No, no government can do this alone. I agree. They just can't. The private sector is a key key player, and and I think if we work with the private sector effectively, we can come up with reasonable schedules, reasonable funding mechanisms, reasonable incentives that help those companies to be competitive still to make the products they make or deliver the services they deliver, uh, but not be in competition with an unfair playing field. That's why it's so critical for countries to join this effort. It's very, very hard to move an economy. If that economy is looking at the marketplace and saying, well, wait a minute, if we're the only ones doing this, our goods are going to be more expensive. We can't afford to do that. We need everybody involved. That's where leadership comes in, and that's why multilateral efforts are so important. I agree. John, thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, last question. We've talked about a lot of depressing trends, but uh, bottom line, are you, are you optimistic? I am optimistic. I, I honestly am optimistic, and here's why I'm optimistic. I've lived long enough now to have been through some really difficult times in our country and globally. Uh, you know, I fought in the Vietnam War. I came back. Our country was torn apart. I, I became involved in the protests. Uh, we went through the civil rights movement, the voting rights, the women's movement, the environment movement, the peace movement, and we had an impact. We did make changes. We had a we had a crooked president, Richard Nixon, who lied to the American people, carried the war on. Well, we got rid of him. We did that at the ballot box. We made democracy work. Some of our cities were on fire in 1968. 
You know, there, there was violence. There was incredible stuff happening. President uh, Kennedy assassinated in 63. Uh, his brother, Rob, Robert Kennedy, is a candidate, assassinated in 68. Martin Luther King, 68, and so forth. But we came back. We, we bounced back from that. When I was in college, severe poverty was at 50% globally. Today, it's, it, it, it went below 10% until COVID. Now it's going to rise again for a while. And we have to re-challenge ourselves to go back and do it. But we've cured diseases. We've proven our ability to be able to reduce nuclear weapons. We've been able to uh, come together in Paris. We can do this. The issue is not capacity. The issue is willpower. The issue is readiness to tackle these problems in a fair-minded, thoughtful way that is not based on a philosophy of, of my country first, but understands you can represent your country and take care of your country by getting a lot of other people to do the same thing with you and work together. President Kennedy once said that uh, you know all the problems that we face on Earth, almost every problem, except God-given tragedy like an earthquake or a tsunami or something, are man-made, person-made. And the truth is they're subject to being changed. No, no child two and a half or three years old hates anybody, but they're taught to hate. They really are. That's what happens. So we can undo things that we, that we can do, <laughs> that we do, if we have the mindset to do it. And I'm optimistic that this wake-up call, at least in our country, the, the murder uh, by police officers of George Floyd has lit a fire in people that has rekindled activism because they want to get control of their lives and of the direction their country's going in. That's why I'm optimistic. Those people in the streets were brown, black, white, gay, straight, every religion, every age, marching, all demanding a, a better future. And that's why today, uh, you see President Trump trailing Joe Biden by 15, 14, 15 points. I, it's today. It's not the day of the election. We still have to fight like hell. But I think there's a wake up going on and it makes me very optimistic. What a positive way to end this uh, talk, John. Thank you so much for this and thank you for your leadership. I hope to see you in Glasgow. Keep plugging away. We will. Stay with it. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Bye. You've listened to Planet A, a podcast on climate change and what to do about it. If you want to know more about the climate policies of Denmark, you can follow my ministry, the Danish Ministry of Climate, Energy and Utilities, on social media platforms such as Twitter, Facebook and Instagram.